Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, November 12th, Friday, Prediction Friday, South Carolina, Missouri weekend. Uh, folks, Gamecocks go into the game. I think last time I checked, they were a one-point favorite over Missouri, and uh, that game kicks off 4 p.m. Eastern, SEC Network from Columbia, Missouri, Como, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, supposed to be cold uh, for the game, and uh, – you know, we'll see how things happen and unfold with the Gamecocks. Just talking to people this week, confidence. The, the, this group's always, you know, been confident, you know, in practice, behind the scenes. It, 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 you know, this group of kids, if you sort of think about it, they, uh, you know, even when Muschamp was there, they, they don't really give up. They're pretty good kids, you know. Uh, pretty good, like uh, – Solid character guys all the way around, that kind of thing. It, this doesn't always work out in the games. And I don't think I've seen very many times, even with in ugly blowout losses, you know, where this team has sort of quit. I, I think defensively last season, you could maybe see a little bit of that. But you have to also understand that, you know, after Muschamp got fired, you know, that defense just – it just they just want anybody over there. You know, you, you're playing – a lot of guys that aren't even playing this year had starting roles and stuff by the time they got to Kentucky. Um, so I'll say that about this group of players. I mean, through all the transitions, COVID, you know, summer of 2020, you name it, which is a, you know, like it or not, that's a lot of things for a college kid, college kids to go through. Um, you know, they've stuck with it. And you saw what happened last weekend when it came all together. That's why I've never really – bought into the fact that it's a talent issue because if, if, if this team did not have talent, uh, you know, they probably wouldn't have won regardless. Maybe they upset Florida on a late field goal or something like that. But, you know, you go in and dominate that game, you know, that's way different than a fluke. You know, a fluke happens when, hey, you know, you 
they turn it over a whole lot. You know, you're living on their end of the field, short drives, nothing's fancy, you know, that kind of thing. Kick a bunch of field goals, maybe one at 12-10, something like that. That didn't happen against the Gators. It was a uh, it was a throttling. And then, look, I know Florida's got issues. Don't get me wrong. I don't I don't expect – I'm going to make a prediction for this Missouri game this weekend. I, I don't expect South Carolina to go blow them out. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, it normally is in this series. Uh, but uh, I, I think that that's – you know, the scenario you're looking at, I'm probably going to pick Carolina to win. I think they're the better team, but uh, we'll see. So that's a, you know, I, it was good that they maximized last weekend against the Gators. I think that made everybody feel good. And from what I've heard, very much a more confident football team excited to go play Saturday. Um, wanted to talk a little bit as we are in our news and notes section of the podcast. Don't always have news and notes. Sometimes it's commentary, but it's brought to you by Heritage Digital. And you're the ad at the beginning. Uh, give Matt a call. You know, nobody likes slow internet. These guys have like a one price deal uh, to where you know, they'll keep you up and running and good. Uh, I know that I've had bad experiences with IT people, good experiences with IT people. And the good always is is better because these days – if you're running a business, you're on the internet, you've got to really have that thing humming. And, you know, especially like you know, my business, if the internet's not going well, that's just, it's a disaster of epic proportions. So anyway, uh, continuing on with this first segment, Gamecock basketball men return to the floor tonight in Asheville, North Carolina, which is right up the road, I-26. Gamecocks will be playing Princeton Tonight, Princeton, one of the better programs out there in terms of Ivy League teams. I think Princeton and Penn and then Harvard when they had Tommy. I think they still do have Tommy Amaker. Harvard's tricky sometimes, too. Uh, Three best teams in the Ivy League. Their coach has been there 10 years. They did not play last year. They got canceled in 2020, and I think they canceled their season last year in the Ivy League, too. You know, so – this, this program, I think, uh, if, if I read today, that this is the first time in like 18 months they've played a Division One opponent. Uh, they beat Rutgers University of Camden, I believe. Well, I think it's Camden or Newark won uh, pretty badly the other night. I think that other team only had 28 points. Uh, but they're going to come in and do their thing, and it's a challenge for South Carolina. And, and I said this on the podcast earlier this week. Uh, this is the type of game that South, you know, everybody talks about sort of the Frank Martin unexplained losses to Stetson and Boston University and, and, and teams like that. This is the type of game that they've also been losing in, in the preseason early. And, and I think back to the Liberty game last year in Kansas City, uh, lost 77 62. Uh, and then uh, Wichita State and Northern Iowa down, I think it's in Puerto Rico, uh, or the Virgin Islands won. It was a, one of those Caribbean tournaments. Gamecocks lost that. Uh, I remember, too. Now, the Illinois State contest down in Myrtle, you know, that was just one of those things. That was that was more of like a Stetson-style loss a few years back. But, you know, it, what these games are is opportunity games. And, and you know, it's November 12th. Nobody's talking about the net ranking or the RPI or anything like that. Princeton's picked, I believe, third in the Ivy League this year, maybe second. Uh, I know reading some articles, they think they can win it. Um, 
as they should probably every year, but uh, you know, th- this has a chance. Let's say Princeton does win the Ivy league. Let's say they do pull some upsets and they have a high net ranking. You have a win over them. It doesn't matter if it's in November or March or whatever, you know, and, and you look back on those teams that, you know, maybe were just short of an NCAA tournament berth under, under Martin. And, you know, that Northern Iowa loss loomed large, Wichita state loss, blowout loss lo- loomed large. Um, you know, I, I think when you talk about the Liberty contest last year, it did not loom large because last year was a disaster. But, you know, had it been a normal year, that is the type of game that, you know, against good mid-major competition or high-major competition, South Carolina, you know, probably needs to turn. You know, the SEC is not going to be a cakewalk this year. The league is up, not down. And so you need as many wins as you can get over quality competition and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, very curious to see how, how this team performs tonight. Thought there were a lot of good things in the USC Upstate game. It was sloppy. It was it was an opener, you know, but an 18-point win. You, you sort of take it, you know, had it gone right down to the wire. I think that you're kind of worried. Uh, but, you know, it was what it was. South Carolina controlled the game after falling behind by nine early. Uh, and, and really, you know, my big takeaway from that was, okay, you know, this team has not gelled yet, okay, and I, that's obvious. And hopefully you have to do some gelling between then and today. But this team has not gelled yet, but Frank has some pieces, and uh, there are some pieces in place. And, you know, a lot of times in basketball when you do have a lot of pieces, which I think they do, you know, you have to kind of – feel it out as far as everybody's role. It doesn't mean you can't go win, but you kind of kind of feel it out. A.J. Wilson is supposed to be back tonight. Looking forward to seeing him. He's a another transfer in from George Mason, big rebounder guy, uh, tough guy, defender on the post, 6'7", 230, something like that. Uh, going to kind of maybe remind you a little bit, if you're a Gamecock basketball aficionado, maybe a little of William Gallman, Maybe a little bit of uh, Malik Russell, if you will, the nut from the Fogler era, uh, but maybe not. I, I don't know. You know, that's just kind of my thing. And again, I'm not a basketball analyst, and so, so take that for what it's worth. Feel free to disagree. I don't care. Uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm just uh, kind of guessing or, or feeling it out. I guess. So he's back. You know, Keyshawn Bryant. This would be two of five that he is out. And so let me just look this up here, folks. Um, and we'll see, I, I, you know, I guess maybe Clemson. I don't know. When, when would he be back? All right. Uh, there's a takeover here on the homepage. I'm, I'm looking it up. But anyway, uh, Keyshawn Bryant's out still. And, and look, I, I think Keyshawn, if you think about it, Keyshawn was probably the most consistently good player for the Gamecocks last year, along with Lawson to a certain extent. Uh, And I thought at the end of 2020 when COVID stopped the world and stopped the season, Keyshawn was playing better than just about anybody. He was scoring. He found a shot. You know he's athletic. You know, the highlight dunks and all that. Uh, So getting him back is going to be big, too. It's just a matter of how it all fits together. All right, so so Keyshawn was out one game, two, then this weekend's out. Okay, so that's three. And then UAB and Wofford. So on November 28th, Sunday after the Clemson game and Thanksgiving, 
Uh, Keyshawn will be back against Ryder. And then you got uh, you got to get – that's right on time because you got a big stretch after Ryder. You got at Coastal Carolina, which is a – you know, when you talk about net rankings, uh, could be a quality win. You got Georgetown coming into the CLA. And then you got uh, December 12th on a Sunday, Florida State and in Rock Hill. Florida State's been one of the best basketball programs in the ACC for – Quite a few years now. They don't quite break through when it comes to the NCAA tournament, uh, but they've got a damn good team. I mean, it's 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 Florida State basketball is probably one of the most understated uh, success stories in college basketball, and, it, and it's probably just because they hadn't made the Final Four under Leonard Hamilton, but he is outstanding. They recruit very, very well. They recruit in the state of South Carolina. Uh, FSU is legit. And uh, that Rock Hill Arena is not that big, and I think a lot of Gamecocks will be there, so it should be a home home court advantage. Um, you know, so getting key back, I think, for Ryder, and then you got those three games, which are critical, uh, that'll be good. So the Gamecocks still missing one starter, uh, potentially, uh, in Bryant. And, and Wilson was, I think, supposed to start too, but we'll see if he starts tonight. Really like Josh Gray on the inside and Wilden's Levesque. I think they both improved – Eric Stevenson is going to drive me insane this year. Uh, probably will be my least favorite player uh, because I, I'm, I'm just not a big volume shooter fan, you know, like guys throw him up. And he keeps throwing it up. And if he's off, as we saw the other night, he's really off. But he's also a guy, if he gets hot, look out, you know, and uh, he hustles and, and does play well. Uh, but he just went through one of his uh, – shooting slumps early in the USC Upstate game, but then came back and got it. James Reese, to me, really good player. You know, you've got Jermaine Cousinard, who tied with Levesque for the lead in scoring. I mean, like I said, you got some pieces. Uh, and I felt, you know, after after watching it, you know, you, you see like, oh, okay, there's a bunch of transfers coming in. Let's see how good they are and all that. After watching them the other night, I was like, this is – it's the largest group of transfers Frank's brought in, but it's probably, you know, it's a group that has a shot. And you look at everybody jumping out of the program at the end of last year and you got worried. You know, you didn't, nobody expected Cousinard and Bryant to come back. Um, you start losing guys like Jalen McCrary, who had promise. You know, there's the whole is Frank out or in. And, and you know, it, it was just, you kind of look ahead from then and you're like, oh man, there's just no shot, shot no shot. Well, now there's a shot, you know, I, and and that's all I'm willing to go after the USC Upstate game. Um, I, I'll tell you that as far as the outlook for this team goes, uh, after they got some of these guys in, I was I was a little more confident than maybe I was uh, at one point. You know, I was like, well, at least there's a chance. And then with Brian Cousinar coming back, well, there's a chance. Those are veteran guys. Uh, who have played a lot of good basketball around here, who know Frank's system and all that. So we'll see what happens uh, tonight. Uh, really looking forward to it, though. I, I think that, you know, it, it's fun when you kind of have a team like this where you, you do have some dependable older guys uh, that you've watched play a lot, you know, you kind of, oh, well, Cousinard is going to make some plays or Levesque will make some plays or when Brian comes back, he'll make some plays. But then also – you know, you you have some guys that uh, are new that, that are impressive, you know. And, and I think, you know, you look at Josh Gray, and, and you know, a lot of people, they, you know, he didn't have the stat line that uh, Levesque had the other night. Um, but you, you can kind of tell the individual athleticism 
and that he's kind of feeling his way a little bit. But once he kind of gets it, you know, this is a guy that can really do some special things, in my opinion, Josh Gray. Uh, so we'll see what happens tonight. Gamecocks probably need to shoot well because I think Princeton will probably shoot well. Got to play good on defense. Uh, so we'll see what happens up in Asheville, North Carolina uh, this evening. Shane Beamer uh, on the call-in show last night had some news. Jay, poor Jalen Dickerson, man. Injured again, out for the season, had to have surgery. I feel bad for that guy. I mean, because when he's healthy, he can get out there and play. And beginning of this year, it looked like, hey, he's going to do it. But now he's injured again. I don't know what the future holds. Dylan Wanham is out for the year. He had a severe back injury. Um, And and those things, sometimes you can get over them. Sometimes you can't. But I I think he's done. And then, of course, Rick Sandage is out. People are going to get on Shane Beamer about the sandage injury because Beamer said he'd probably be back, and they thought that, but he's, he's just not quite ready. But, you know, look, if Zach Pickens goes to the NFL after this year, which if he keeps playing like he is, it's possible. You know, Sandage is a guy that could step in and really do good. He was really having his best run as a Gamecock in preseason practice. And we all know from watching Rick over the years, uh, when Rick wants to play, he can play. You know, <laughs> he's, he's pretty good, you know. Um, and so – Hey, that, you know, this year it's tough because I, I think Sandage would have been a big part of the rotation, if not a starter, you know. But Jabari Ellis and Pickens have been fine. And, and the back of Hemingway and Boogie Huntley have gotten in there and played well. MJ Webb's played well. Uh, so you get him back next year. Uh, so he's out. You know, really good articles this week, too, uh, on two guys that are somewhat of a surprise. I mean, the first one, you know, Jalen Foster. Thorpe Award semifinalist leads the SEC in interceptions. I think last I checked, uh, has really been the cornerstone of the Gamecock secondary this year. I don't think anybody expected that, myself included. Happy because he's a Burns guy. Happy because you know he was a former walk-on that came in here and worked his butt off, and and happy that he's been put in a position to have success this year. And he's, you know, everything from run support to. Uh, cat coverage to being a ball hawk back there. You know, Jalen's passed a lot of tests. Um, and so good article on GamecocksOnline.com about him. And in the, in the Athletic, my friend Andy Staples, he of barbecue uh, fame, <laughs> had him on the J.C. and Morgan podcast over the summer, wrote a nice piece about Jason Brown, you know, talked about the process to get him to South Carolina. Eric Kimry recruited he and E.J. Jenkins both. Um Fox on the staff uh, first watched the film and uh, you know, they came to Carolina and right now when you look at the biggest win of the year, i.e. the biggest one of the Beamer era, you know, Jason Brown was starting quarterback. And, you know, the thing about Brown heading into this game, uh, I think it's just, it's another test that, that I think, you know, he, he needs to pass. I, I think that if you're Missouri, you're looking and seeing, well, this guy's only started one game. Um, let's see what we can do to sort of confuse him in the passing game. And there's a lot of ways to look at it, like, you know, disguising coverages, sending pressure, and Missouri's as bad as they've been against the run, they're pretty good at sending pressure. Um, you know, what are they going to do on defense, and how is how's Jason Brown, the offense, going to respond? I personally think if uh, Missouri says, hey, you know, 284 rushing yards against the Gators, not that, you know, 175 passing. Let, let, let's 
let's stack the box and make South Carolina's receivers, tight ends, and quarterback beat us passing it. You know, then then that's that's fine. You have to take advantage of. It, you know, uh, if if stacking the box were like uh, was like the answer to everything, everybody would stack the box. <laughs> but you can't because you give big plays and get burnt. Um, you know, and, and Missouri may say we don't want South Carolina to run the football just like Georgia. I mean, I would I would lean toward doing that if I were Steve Wilkes, their defensive coordinator. Because uh, you got some confidence last week. But, look, man, Georgia still rushed for 158 yards. It was the season low rushing yardage-wise that Missouri's given up. But they still, you know, the Zamir White couldn't get going. The first half they couldn't get going. But then Georgia started adjusting and all that. And Georgia, you know, I've seen teams do this, to try to do this to Georgia over the years. And uh, a lot of times it just doesn't work because – People underrate their ability to throw it vertically. And, uh, you know, you can stack the box and do all that, and they're going to burn you downfield. I, I do remember, like, if you, if you think about the 2016 South Carolina-Georgia game, that was Muschamp's first year, Kirby's first year. It was 28-14 dogs, 21-14 until they returned. Uh, Shane Beamer drew up a uh, onside's kick return, and the final margin was two touchdowns. I think Georgia covered. I think Brett Musburger was mad about that. <laughs> he was he was calling the game. Uh, but and it was on a Sunday, too, because of the, the hurricane or whatever. But, you know, you, you sort of look at it, and in that game, South Carolina stacked the box and, and had a lot of run blitzes on and, and things like that. Uh, and it worked after the first drive where Georgia just gashed them. You know, kind of like game guys kind of limited them. And then Jacob Eason, who was the quarterback for Georgia at the time of freshman, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. I think he was six for 17. If he's accurate at all in that game, it wasn't that close. So there you go about stacking the box. And I think what they're probably hoping is, you know, you, you look at Brown's start last week, he was 10 of 13, and all of a sudden he's four for 11. And what, what you kind of hope is, hey, he's not going to be accurate. And, I, and I'm not buying that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying – uh, I, I, you know, talking to people this week, you know, the, the notion is if they do that, then Jason Brown's going to take advantage of them down the field. Receivers have to catch the ball, all that good stuff. So, you know, good story in the athletic on, on Mr. Brown. And as I've said all along, great kid. Um, you know, people are going to continue to, as he continues to play well, and I think he will, to ask why he wasn't starting to begin with. And, all I'll say is this, you know, probably you could have made a case for it back then. Uh, and they went with Nolan uh, to start the season. Uh, but you probably could have made a case for it. And probably if you had to do over again, you play Jason Brown, you get his feet wet against Eastern Illinois, uh, and then away we go. But they didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes coaches are forced to make changes and they work out. And, and and that's not a unique thing to Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, team they just played, Florida. You know, they go up to Kentucky. Felipe Franks is doing Felipe Franks things. They're about to lose in 2019. He gets hurt out for the year. In comes Kyle Trask, who, by the way, they signed both those guys in the same class. McElwain, Jim McElwain uh, did. And I thought, like, for what McElwain wants to do on offense, this kid Trask is better because he can throw it. Uh, Franks, 
you know, and, and I understood why Mullen went with Franks. When he got there, it's intriguing as six foot five, two hundred forty pound quarterback that can run in that offense. You're like, oh god, this could be great. But something wasn't clicking. I mean, you know, just the, the passing game wasn't clicking. You know, you had the Miami game with the inexplicable interceptions. They put Trask in. They come back beat Kentucky, and for the next two years, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Um, so, so what I'm saying is. You know, I, I think it's fine to look back and say, in hindsight, they probably should have been playing Brown all along, you know, depending on how he plays this weekend. However, that's just not how, how it works sometimes in football. I mean, you know, even even Clemson started Cole Stout, Deshaun Watson's freshman year. Clemson had Kelly Bryant go for three or four games before they went with Trevor. Coaches are just – Risk adverse when it comes to that position because you you don't you 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 play the guy that executes your offense the best in practice, uh, and maybe that wasn't Jason Brown. But then there's some guys that are gamers, and that probably is Jason Brown. So all in all, it's a positive that they were kind of forced to throw him in there, and I think he positively impacted the entire offense, defense, special teams, whatever. You know, because he, he's a well liked individual, and and rightfully so. But, you know, first SEC road start for quarterbacks, I think uh, I went back and totaled it up. Uh, five and 20. <laughs> That's the record for the past uh, – since 92 when the Gamecocks came in the league, first SEC road starts for Carolina quarterbacks. I think Connor Shaw won his. I think Dylan Thompson technically won his because, you know, it was the Missouri game that Connor let him back in, but Dylan started it. Um, you know, and some of these are like that, you know, uh, Savelle Newton won his first start, but it was Mike Rath that threw the touchdown to win because Savelle got hurt. So, you know, it, it, it's been sort of a mixed bag <laughs> or not a mixed bag. It's been str- a struggle, you know, for some of these guys going on the road now. So sometimes like, like in the case of Jake Bentley, he goes to Florida first SEC road start. Big game, CBS television. Uh, I think Roper decided he wanted to just run it up the middle the whole time. And, you know, when, when they finally kind of unleashed the passing game, Jake had some nice passes and stuff like that, lost 20 to 7. Uh, but Florida's defensive line and defense that year were just so far superior to anything South Carolina could put up front. You know, it had to happen. Same with Clemson the following week. Um, you know, so. That that's a first SEC road start that didn't go well. Holinsky, a lot of these guys do their first SEC road starts are Missouri. Holinsky's first start was at Missouri on the road in the SEC, uh, coming off a very physical game against Bama. He wasn't feeling himself. Uh, caused two touchdowns to happen, um, and, and I kind of put that game at the feet of Brian McClendon because. You know, South Carolina was not even trying to establish the run in that one. And then, and probably rightfully so, because Missouri is trying to take that away. Um, and then, you know, Helensky was just off. And then by the time he kind of got better, you know, and Gamecocks are driving to, to cut it to a one score game, lo and behold, here's another pass dialed up inside the three and it's a pick six. Uh, and just a, a bad. You know, freshman quarterback kind of play. So, you know, Colin Hill's first road start in the SEC at South Carolina was the Florida game last year. I thought he actually played pretty well, but I don't don't know. Last year, no crowds, nothing like that. Not expected to be a huge crowd in Columbia this weekend. Uh, Columbia, Missouri, that is. Uh, And it's, uh, you know, you look around 
tickets on the secondary market are like $15. So it's not, not a big, not a packed house. They're not expecting a packed house at all in Como. So, you know, maybe that works. I, I do think there is probably a little bit of like the elements, the game costs will have to solve, but we'll talk about that here in the keys to the, fo- uh, the football game uh, right here in a second. You know, as we get into the prediction part of prediction Friday here on the inside of the Gamecocks podcast. And also I wanted to mention, she is now the uh, sponsor, not only of prediction Friday, Thursday, whatever, but a regular sponsor in our quote unquote analysis segment every day, Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell, Caldwell Banker Kane. Uh, Daniel Morgan Avenue, right there in Sparkle City, my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Folks, you know the the real estate market is weird right now, very, very weird. And you need somebody to help you navigate it if you're looking to buy, sell, whatever, uh, in the upstate. And that is Cindy Searfoss from Caldwell Baker Kane. She's married to a diehard Gamecock fan that's been in the upstate for over 35 years. I would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, 864-414-5271, or C. Searfoss at cbcane.com, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Tell her you heard about it here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Very happy to have Cindy as a sponsor. Uh, Spartanburg's near and dear to my heart, obviously. Uh, and somebody sitting there, you know, I look there and uh, repeat the address, Daniel Morgan Avenue in Spartanburg. I, I know exactly where that is. You know, when I was a kid, you used to drive through there and all, and that's the hometown. So Cindy Searfoss, uh, please uh, take advantage of her. If you're looking to buy, sell Cherokee, Union County, Spartanburg County, Greenville County, Greenwood, Lawrence, Oconee, Pickens, uh, anywhere up in the upstate, you know, he, she can help you. And we'd be glad to, glad to. And again, real estate market, wow. So, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so Missouri, Carolina, first and foremost, this is the battle for the mayor's cup. I've, I've heard it called the Columbia cup before. Um, but it's the mayor's cup. Uh, I think, I think that's what we'll keep calling it South Carolina. They started the trophy now. now okay. Heading into the sec Gamecocks were Owen two against the tigers all time, two bowl losses, uh, Birmingham bowl. I was at both of them. 1979 uh, Hall of Fame Bowl in Birmingham. My first Gamecock game, I was, gosh, two and a half, almost three. Uh, George Rogers, all that good stuff. It was raining. I peeked out of my mom's poncho, didn't know what the heck was going on. Didn't even know that they won or lost. (laughs) But they did, 24-14. 26 years later, Steve Spurrier's first year at South Carolina, uh, Gamecocks get matched up in the Independence Bowl with Missouri, and that was I was at that one too, and that one was awful. Uh, Gamecocks, you know, tough, tough after after beating Florida and Tennessee, Clemson comes in. You know, Carolina should have had that game. Game, you know, Clemson had kind of beaten the crap out of Carolina the last two years. You know, sixty three seventeen included. Carolina goes in. I think you know Mike Davis, the first Mike Davis is running the ball well. You know, Sydney, right? I mean, it, it, the defense is playing well. And, uh, you know, Carolina's up, but nine to six. Clemson scores a touchdown game. Sydney Rice dropped a pass in that one, his first pass all year. Uh, just a heartbreaking loss 
Heartbreaking loss, Blake Mitchell with the interception at the end. So then, okay, so everybody kind of forgets about that. Gamecocks taking like 8,000 people out to Shreveport, which was amazing. Uh, first bowl in four years, Spurs first year. Gamecocks go up and down the field like they're the Florida Gators of 1995, and they're up 28-7. They're just kicking their teeth in. Uh, I think Missouri's only score was on a 100-yard pick six or something like that, which was bad. That was an ominous sign. Well, then Brad Smith, who their quarterback was, starts to take over. Missouri ends up coming back and winning the game, 38-31. Ooh, bad. Now, there's some revenge that the Gamecocks and Spurrier got uh, eight years later. <laughs> uh, but when they came into the league, it was 2012. I remember CBS had the first Missouri SEC road game at Carolina. Gamecocks won that one 31-10. Pretty easy. Ace Sanders, that was kind of a breakout game for him. Uh, also, Connor Shaw was 20 for 21, passing in that one. The next year, Missouri was a top-five team. Dylan Thompson starts. Gamecocks down 17 Method Connor comes in, leads him back. They win in overtime on a missed field goal. That was huge. The next year, Gamecocks blew a lead again, 21-20. to There was the Lorenzo Nunez start in 2015, so it's 2-2. And then Muschamp, to his credit, first three years, you know, they had to beat Missouri at home to get to a bowl, the Drew Locke years. Uh they did, 31-21. The next year, game two, after a big win over NC State, Gamecocks fall behind early to nothing. And then Debo Samuel does Debo Samuel things, sets the tone. Gamecocks get an interception. Gamecocks won easily, 31-13. The next year was the monsoon Michael Skarnecchia game. What a weird game. Uh, Gamecocks won 37-35 on a Parker White field goal. Uh, and then I talked about 2019 and the Holinsky the Holinsky road starts a disaster. Then last year, you know, Missouri comes in, you know, first game for Bobo as the interim head coach. They get 17 nothing. You know, the game guys can't run the ball, but they bring in Doty. He provides a spark and, you know, 17-10 ball game. Just game guys didn't quite have enough. Amazing to me still in that game that that defense shut Missouri out the second half. Uh, and and so and that brings me to my next point: the myth of Eli Drinkwitz. Now I say the myth, and the, and I I think Eli Drinkwitz is a good coach. I really do, and I'm not, uh, and I kind of like his personality. You know, I like his little quips and, and things like that. Uh, I wasn't sold on the hire because he'd only been an app for one year, but he kind of proved me wrong last season with a five SEC wins, which was good. That's good in any year at the University of Missouri especially taking over another team. They beat LSU. They beat Arkansas in a shootout. They beat – and they they won what was impressive last year. They won in different ways. So, so the Arkansas and LSU games were shootouts, you know, 50 to 48, uh, 45-41. Uh, and then, you know, you had some games that weren't. They held the ball for like 43 minutes against Kentucky and won 20 to 10. Uh, and then against the Gamecocks, they won 17-10 on the road. Um, a little crack in the armor at the end because Mississippi State, the Pirate, Mike Leach whipped them 51-32 at the end of the season. I think they were one that did not get to go to a bowl because of COVID, which a lot of a lot of teams did not. And so ended, I think it ended 5-5. Five and five, And expectations were very high this year. Um, at Missouri and Kentucky both, but, you know, Kentucky – they're on a three-game losing streak right now, but they're still six and three. And Missouri season sort of unfolded a lot like South Carolina's. Uh, you know, you've got uninspired or, or uninspiring wins over lesser teams like North Texas 
and Southeast Missouri, where they gave a bunch of rushing yards and, uh, Jim McElwain's uh, central Michigan team at the beginning of the year and Vanderbilt on the road. Uh, and, and then you've got some games that, uh, it's gotten away from them, you know, 43 to six at Georgia, uh, 35-14 against A&M, you know, and, and here are the common opponents. You know, Georgia, Gamecock, both played in Athens. Gamecocks lost 40-13 and 43-6. Uh, Tennessee, Gamecocks went to Knoxville and lost 45-20. Missouri lost at home 62-24. Kentucky, Gamecocks lost at home 16-10. Missouri lost on the road 35-28. Gamecocks beat Vandy 21-20 at home. Uh, Missouri beat them on the road 37-28, and then A&M in College Station 44-14 over the Gamecocks and 35-14 over the Tigers. So the, when you look at the common opponents, it's kind of played out the same way. Uh, Missouri has not played Florida yet. Uh, the Gamecocks have, and that's the difference. You know, Gamecocks 5-4, and four, Missouri's 4-5. and five. South Carolina does have like a I don't want to I don't know if you call it a signature win, but they have a big win. You know, this Missouri team does not. You know, their wins of, you know, they came against Vandy, North Texas, Southeast Missouri, and Central Michigan. So that's not you know, that's not even East Carolina and Troy, in my opinion. Um, you know, North Texas is about to fire their coach or did maybe. Um, they're kind of at the bottom. Southeast Missouri is an FCS school, similar to Eastern Illinois. Uh, and then they're probably better than Eastern Illinois, I would guess. Uh, and then, you know, Vanderbilt was – Vanderbilt had a better day on offense against Missouri than they did the Gamecocks. But that Missouri's offense was really good against Vandy. It took about – the question, too – with this team is which quarterback are they going to see? You know, it, it, the Gamecocks. Uh, Connor Basilak had a really good freshman year. I think he was a redshirt freshman. A lot of people like him. My friend Mike Morgan, who called some of his games last year, was impressed. I was impressed. I've always been impressed. I, I don't – you know, watching Missouri get the stuffing beat out of them by Tennessee, I didn't think Basilak was the problem. It's just they couldn't stop Tennessee. And, and Tennessee's tempo – along with the fact Missouri hadn't been able to stop the run, really hurt them. You know, they, they couldn't adjust, and it was over before. You know, it's crazy because Missouri had 11 minutes of possession in the first quarter. Tennessee had three, yet Tennessee's up 28 nothing. Uh, with Basilak, it, it's interesting because, you know, and, and, and I'll get to the other two here in a second. They are able to control the ball. It's almost like, Eli Drinkwitz's offense, if you look at what they did at NC State, what he's done at Missouri, and then the, the year at App State where they kind of were more like App State's always been, they control the ball through short passes. And Basilak, they do a boom, 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 chunk, 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 and then boom, big play on the outside zone run to Tyler Beatty, that kind of thing. That That's what makes the Missouri offense sort of go. They're not really a chunk it all over the field team. So that concerns you if you're South Carolina. You know, you need to get off the field. You know, they're sitting there chewing clock and all that. Even if you're running the ball well against that defense, it's, it's, uh, you know, that could be, that could be problematic. Um, but, you know, back to Eli Drinkwitz, he is 2 and 0 against South Carolina. I think he's enjoyed those two wins, both at Williams Bryce Stadium. App State beat him 20 to 15 in 2019 and then Missouri 17 10. But here's the thing. Drinkwitz is an offensive coach, obviously, you know, because he just you know, hired Steve Wilkes. For, he hires other guys to run the defense. 
Uh, he's like a Spurrier, you know, Mike Leach or whoever, you know, name him, Dan Mullen, name your offensive coach that dials it up and, you know, calls the plays and all that. And, and, and I think he's good. But that, that said, it's not like he's lit, lit South Carolina on, on fire the last two years. That App State game, the Mountaineers only had 202 yards of total offense. I think there was a pick six in there, and then they ended up winning 20 to 15. The Gamecocks almost doubled their yardage. So it was just one of those find a way to win it. Then I mentioned last year, 17-10, Gamecocks defense shut them out the second half. They got 17-0, 17-10. But, you know, he uh, – you know, he's 2-0, and Eli Drinkwitz. So – a lot of people think, hey, you know, it's the, he's kind of got the Gamecocks number, and he has the last two years, but it's not like, oh, you can't stop this offense. You remember Bobby Petrino for a while there with Ellis Johnson at Carolina on defense? Carolina played Arkansas every year. Bobby Petrino just had the Gamecocks number. Yeah, Ellis Johnson's number, you knew they were going to go up and down the field and probably Gamecocks weren't going to win. That happened in 2009, 2010, and 2011. None of those games were close. I think uh, 17, 21, and 16. <laughs> That's not the situation with Eli Drinkwitz, I, I don't think. I, I don't think there's any reason to live in fear of, of his play calling or his offense. I do think that kind of type of offense can be problematic because what they do, I mean, they it's versatile. They can, they can sit there and try to bleed your defense dry, you know, slow a thousand paper cuts. Or they have the ability to pop big plays. They're explosive. So that's that's what's interesting about that offense and, and what concerns you. But I don't think that anybody should be pretending like this is one of those Bobby Petrino, Ellis Johnson matchups and Eli just sort of out, you know, is masterful on offense against Carolina. Uh, but the defense has won those games for Missouri uh, and App State. App State's defense won that game, which was baffling <laughs> but uh you know and Missouri's defense won that game because they held Carolina off in the second half the offense did not score you know so we'll see sort of what happens there but Drinkwitz you know they need a win they need two wins to get to a bowl and they've got Carolina Florida and Arkansas so Arkansas is much improved they're probably not happy about losing to Missouri at a shootout last year you know who knows what they'll get with Florida but I, I guarantee you they're probably sitting there going, all right, let's beat South Carolina. Then Florida's going to come in. We're going to beat them because, you know, they have all kinds of problems. And, you know, we'll get to a bowl game this year. Uh, not so fast, my friend, in my opinion. All right, tail of the tape, passing offense. And th- these are interesting stats. Gamecocks 93rd in the country. Missouri 36, 264 passing yards per game. Rushing offense, Gamecocks are 95th. Missouri 62, 168.6. Pass defense, game got 16th. That's the highest ranking of any of these stats. They're only giving up 186 yards per game through the air. Uh, Missouri's 41st, giving up 207. Rush defense, game got 77th. But numbers getting better, and the 82 they gave up against Florida was very impressive. Uh, and then Missouri's 129th out of 130. They're giving up over 270 yards a game on the ground. Wow. Um, and again, they had their best game uh, at Georgia. Georgia went for 158, 5.1 yards per carry, but uh, they did stack the box. That's well documented. Who knows what they'll do this weekend? Uh, total offense, Gamecocks 108th, still not stellar. 
Uh, Missouri 41st. And total defense, Gamecocks 39th, Missouri 123rd. So, obviously, coming into the game, Missouri has the better offense statistically, and the Gamecocks have the better defense. You know, in, in South Carolina, you know, when, when you go on the road, South Carolina, when it has a defense, usually plays better than when it's just, you know, throw it all over the place, you know, stop them. You, you take your defense on the road. They say that, it's true. Defense on the road. And, uh, and run game. You know, so Carolina hopefully can get the run game going uh, this Saturday in Columbia, Missouri. Keys to the game. Uh, oh, one more thing. Uh, and, and this is a key to the game uh, overall for the Gamecock defense. you got to slow down Tyler Beatty. Number six in the country in all-purpose yards, 1,350 yards this year, total yards. You have to stop it. You know, you, you can't let that guy – have a career day against you. Um, and Carolina's run defense has had some holes this year. Good game against the Gators, but, you know, this is different. This guy here, you know, he, he, he can change the complexity of the game really quick. And if you're looking at a team that's kind of in a situation where they're trying to save their season, what do they normally do? They get the ball to their stud, and he's a stud. You know, so South Carolina on the perimeter – uh, and the outside zone thing, runs, stuff like that. They have to be sound tacklers, and you have to know where he is. You know, especially if they start playing, you know, making a quarterback, the true freshman who can also run. You, you can get a little zone read going there, a little two-man game where you're having to pick your poison to stop the running quarterback or to stop Tyler Beatty, and that could be, that'd be problematic. So Clayton White, you know, just because of all the mystery. I mean, and, and look, there is a lot of mystery uh, for this game. Um you know, Clayton White's got his hands full in preparation because, you know, who who do you prepare for quarterback-wise? You know, how do you account for Beatty? How will they use him? Missouri's offensive line is pretty good, I think. You know, they're a good group watching them this year. Uh, Carolina's defensive line has to come to play. Linebackers have to play well, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's tricky because you're kind of preparing for three different quarterbacks. Because the other the third quarterback, Banks, I think is, is his name. Is it Banks? I don't know. Brad something. Uh, I should have written it down. Uh, you know, he, he's a good passer. I mean, so you have three different quarterbacks. And, and those of you that want to, you know, complain about Shane Beamer not announcing who the starter was, he announced who the starter was this week. Um, but you see with the Eli Drinkwitz thing, they're not going to say anything. Now, you read Missouri's insider boards and stuff like that, you know, they're sort of leaning towards Basilac is not going to play. Because uh, he's in street clothes at practice earlier, that kind of thing. Um, but you know they're not putting that information out there. You make Clayton White prepare for three different quarterbacks, you know, and and it gets tricky. It gets tricky because you know you can you could die a death of a thousand paper cuts if their short passing game is on and they're getting first downs with Beatty and the quarterback. I mean, you you can you can really put yourself in a bad spot. Uh, you know, if if you're not attacking and tackling and, and doing all that good stuff. So Tyler Beatty's very, very important to stop. Okay, so here are the keys of the game, five keys. Number one, fly the plane, Marcus. <laughs> uh, I said that about Satterfield earlier this year. Some guys know a lot, then you know, about the plane, the mechanics. They can – ground school's awesome. They know everything there is to know about aviation, but they can't fly the airplane. Well, I thought that was basically the – Case with Marcus Satterfield through what uh, eight games? Lo and behold, game nine flew the plane <laughs> pretty well. 
You know, I, I, I thought, you know, just looking at it, you know, I, and, and, I, and I used the pizza analogy in the last one. And I think that, you know, what the, the good thing he did was South Carolina started running the ball and he just kept running. You know, okay, we're going to be able to run it. Let's keep running it, keep running it and not try to get too cute and too crazy and all that. Now, sometimes, you know, th- this offense, folks, 40 points, but it's not a, and then 40, 59 yards against Gators, it has not arrived because there's things to fix. You know, especially if South Carolina, South, you know, some, there were some busted plays by the offensive line again against Gators. Now, that's, that particular defense is designed for the defensive line to make plays in the backfield um, and pressure the quarterback. You know, so it, it was never going to be perfect against that bunch. But, you know, they, they made some plays. Uh, the Gamecocks settled for four field goals. When you know, better to have touchdowns, that kind of thing. I don't, I'm not saying that uh, Satterfield's arrived as this ace pilot. I'm saying he proved he could fly the plane. So fly the plane again. Don't get too cute. You know, I think South Carolina will face some adversity in this one. It's not going to be like the other week where, you know, basically, you know, I, folks, I looked forward to last week for the offense to get the ball back. It's like, well, how, what are they going to do now? It's first time all year that you're like, hey, you know, you're not, you know, wanting to beat your face in with a hammer watching those guys. Uh, so fly the plane. Fly the plane, Marcus. Don't get too cute. Establish. Get get out there. If it's, if it's a game where – you got to chunk it down the field and make them honest. Do it. If it's a game where you're running the ball all over them, do that. You know, just fly the plane. Um, and then speaking of the run, and, and this is this is going to be a key, I think, for South Carolina for the rest of the year. Establish the run and stop the run. Uh, if you look at the the bugaboo on the offensive side of the ball this season when they haven't played well, South Carolina hadn't been able to run the ball. You know, people can say all they want about this quarterback or that quarterback or play calling or whatever, but when you can't run the football, and again, there's offensive line confusing, confusement, and you know, things like that. Um, you know, this, this team is not geared toward spreading out five wide like the pirate does and chucking it all over the yard. It's just that they they don't have enough uh, to really you know, line up and do that if they can't run the ball. Now, you, you said, well, J.C., you know, what if Missouri stacks the box, take away the run? That's different. That's different than not not being able to run it when they only have four down. <laughs> uh, South Carolina, I think, can take advantage of that. I think Josh Van, E.J. Jenkins, Jaheim Bell, whoever, Nick Muse, you know, they start stacking it. You know, I, I think Jason Brown is good enough to find those guys downfield. Uh, and make them pay, and then once you do that three or four times, they're not going to stack it anymore. I mean, like, oh, we got to, we got to. They can't just sit here and bomb bomb us to death, you know. Uh, but I still think, you know, establishing the run, even if Missouri stacks the box, you know, you just do what George did and run wide or reverses or whatever, and then stopping the run. Obviously, Tyler Beatty, uh, if Macon plays at quarterback, you got to stop him. You, you can't let Missouri run it and churn out first downs. The, the best-case scenario, I think, uh, for the Gamecocks would be if Basilite does not play, and then the Gamecocks sell out and stop the run. <laughs> uh, because I just I just don't know, you know, the, the Missouri's deep – the receivers are good. Uh, they're not great. I'd say the same about Carolina's. But uh, I'll also say this, it, you know, 
if you sort of look at it, you know, I'd much rather have Jason Brown trying to throw passes downfield if I can't run it than, you know, Macon or the other kid. Because those guys are very green and you can dial some things up if you're Clayton White to confuse them or whatever. So we'll see what happens with that. Establish the run, stop the run. That's key number two. Number three, beware of the backup. We've all lived through this. TJ Finley last year at LSU. We've all lived through the backup quarterback in Carolina going, oh, backup quarterback's in. Should have a good day. Um, and uh, sometimes things have turned out the wrong way with that. Uh, and look, I'll be honest. Uh, it's happened this year. You guys probably didn't realize it because the Gamecocks came back and won, but Mike Wright starting for Vandy threw everything for a loop. You know, if they'd started Ken Seals, I don't know that Vandy would have crossed the 50. But Wright was able to run around and get and, – and Wright also, by the way, for your information, torched Missouri on the ground, you know, when they played him in Nashville uh, at Vandy. So, backup quarterback, beware the backup quarterback. Macon scares me a bit just because of his running ability. He's an East St. Louis kid with a crap ton of top confidence. Made some plays against Georgia, you know – you go out and you play Georgia and Athens and you're coming home the next week, you're going to be confident. So beware of those guys. You know, if it's not Basilak, making changes things for that offense. You know, now I'll say this. Missouri, I mean, sorry, in 2019, you know, because everybody's, oh, the backup quarterback stage. Well, Kentucky had their backup in there in 2019. Gamecocks won easily and by the same score that they beat Vandy with their backup 24-7. Uh, so it's not like Carolina's over against backup quarterbacks, but these guys on the road and, and these guys scare me. I mean, you know, the younger guys, cause there's not a lot of scouting reports on them. You don't know what they can do. They probably don't know what they can do either. They're just out there playing ball. Um, and that could be an issue. That could definitely be an issue. Handle the elements, the weather forecast, partly cloudy, high of 45, low of 28. This game kicks off at three o'clock central, which they're in the central time zone. It's probably third, fourth quarter. It's going to get dark and start getting into the 30s. Uh, you worry about that, you know. Carolina, Carolina's guys, I think in the 50s and 40s, it's fine. But once it gets down there, you know, they're not used to that. Missouri's probably been practicing it all week. So that's – handle the elements. And, you know, that – when you're facing adversity and ultimately the Gamecocks will in the football game, you know, Sometimes that gets to you. And then the final thing is just block, block. Get out there and block. I don't care who you are, you know, a back, uh, if you're Trey Jones, the, the, the jumbo set, uh, whoever you are, block. You know, block the guy in front of you. Hit somebody. Be the more physical team. Because uh, I think if the Gamecocks can block, uh, even if maybe they're outnumbered uh, and they just try to stack the box, Maybe Carolina could break a couple tackles running anyway. I mean, I, you, you can't afford a lot of missed blocks in this one, uh, even in the passing game, you know, because they're going to send some pressures and stuff like that. You can't miss them, you know. Jason Brown is elusive and, and can kind of sometimes get out of trouble. But, you know, if they choose to try to light him up, you know, look out. Because I think, uh, you know, that, that means, you know, he may not – quite as accurate down the field or anything like that, and then God forbid if there's an injury or something. But block, just block. You know, that's how people say. Uh, but, you know, I, I think as far as the guys up front, they're probably feeling pretty good and confident. Um, 
And I think a lot of times when you're when you are an offensive lineman, once once it clicks, it sort of it sticks. Does that make sense? Um, and I've seen a lot of offensive lines around here, particularly during the Spurrier era, that were not clicking at all, and they start to click. And very rarely did those offensive lines go back to regression. I'm talking like 05, 06, even 07 when the Gamecocks lost all those games down the stretch. You look at the offensive line and the Vandy upset loss versus, you know, what they were doing against Clemson and Florida and those guys at the end of the year. And they got better individually. That year, Gamecocks couldn't stop anybody. Um, I think the O-line in 08 was bad all year. And then it got better in 09 when they brought Wolf in and away we go. But, you know, most of the time, when the offensive line gels or when a offensive line gels, it, it gels. And that's pretty much it, you know. Uh, and this offensive line that, that I saw against Florida for the Gamecocks, much more like the line last year. You know, not perfect, not elite, but good enough and uh, really good at – pounding people and uh, opening some holes for the run game, which is important. You know, South Carolina's best players on offense are their running backs. You got to get them the ball. You know, those are your are your best playmakers. So, block, that's my uh, fifth and final uh, key to the game. So, we've gone through all that. And, you know, this is a huge game for Missouri as far as their season goes. It's a huge game for South Carolina. Uh, I will remind everyone if the Gamecocks happen to fall this weekend, there are two games left at home. And so it's not the end of the world, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I said, I said all year, you know, all, all season, Shane Beamer, first order of business. If you're the Gamecocks, you, you got to start reversing the Missouri series, the Tennessee series, the Kentucky series. Uh, all those programs are right there with you. And I know Tennessee, you know, they're five and four. They're having a really good year on offense with Josh Heupel. They've they've been kind of a surprise, you know, with how they played against certain teams. Uh, and they got Georgia this weekend. That's going to be interesting. Um, but, you know, that that series has to turn. Unfortunately, I looked at the 2022 schedule for the Gamecocks next year. They play Tennessee at Williams-Brice the weekend before the Clemson game, though. So, it's, it's kind of in that Auburn spot this year. It's kind of weird. Um, but, you know, you did, didn't get it done in Knoxville. Uh, did not get it done against the Wildcats early in the season. And that was a frustrating loss. Uh, but this Missouri game, you're, you're a different team now. You, you know, you, you went out and blew out Florida. Got a different quarterback. Got a lot of confident players on both, both sides of the ball. Your run defense got better in that one. You know, so there's there's every reason in the world to think South Carolina can go out there and win. Um, you know, I mentioned the SEC road starts for quarterbacks. I, you know, this is not the same situation as some other quarterbacks have been. Even going back to Dylan Thompson, whose first start was at Missouri, or even like Lorenzo Nunez, whose first start was at Missouri. You know, this is a little bit different in terms of the matchups. You know, um, Dylan Thompson started against a top five Missouri team on the road. You know, Lorenzo Nunez started against a Missouri team that wasn't all that great, but they had Drew Locke out there and Carolina's defense couldn't stop anybody. You know, Nunez probably just wasn't ready to go play either. You know, they put Orth in toward the end, and I think he threw it better. But, uh, you know, so those are the other ones. You know, Michael Skarnecchia had his only career start against these guys. 
and the Gamecocks won. So, you know, look, this is not, you know, they're not going to play in the Patriots. They're not going to play in UGA. You know, they're playing Missouri. And it, it's a team that has some weapons. It has talent. They got a good coach. Uh, they've struggled mightily in a lot of areas that they're trying to fix, just like the Gamecocks against Florida. Um, the difference to me is you look at the, the, the games this year and, you know, there, there's two ways to look at it. You, you look at it like, well, you know, Missouri could put it all together this weekend and beat Carolina. And that's absolutely true. You know, they could play a lot better than they have been on defense. They've got good defensive linemen. Uh, Trey John Jeffcoat from Irmo is one of those guys, good pass rushers. They've got Beatty, you've got weapons, um, you know, to attack Carolina, you're at home, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's absolutely true. You know, that this could be a game kind of like Carolina's game of Florida where they jump up and beat them and you're like wondering what the heck's going on. Of course, Carolina's not coming off of a disappointing loss to Georgia or however many losses Florida had to FBS teams in a row. You know, Carolina's coming off their best win of the season. And I will, you know, point this out. You know, there's been other teams that have come off their best wins of the season uh, and, and played Missouri, and, and they've done pretty well, you know. And uh, I'll, I'll use A&M as an example. A&M beats Alabama at home, 41-38. You got to turn around and go to Missouri. You know, they're sitting there waiting on the Aggies. You know, it was all the emotion of beating Bama finally, storming the field in Aggie land. And they just went up there and took care of business. Isaiah Spiller ran all over them. You know, they played good defense. It was not a game. 21-point victory. Uh, and, you know, other teams that – have gotten off, had big wins. Missouri, Tennessee's win at Missouri was big. They turned right back around and beat the Gamecocks, same one. You know, so I, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's relevant to the discussion. Uh, although I always do believe every week's different, every team's different, all the games stand on their own. So South Carolina, coming into this game, I, you know, I think, like I said, checked with a lot of people this week. It is a confident group. It's been a confident group all year. Uh, but there's kind of when, when a plan comes together and it finally works, you get more buy-in. Uh, and I don't care, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't care who you are and what you say and how you act and how you practice. You know, when when the games start going well, that gives you a lot more confidence because they're when bad things happen, as they inevitably will in a football game to anybody, you're not like here we go again. You're not like, here we go again. You're like, okay, well, here, here's what we're going to do to respond to this. So breaking everything down, you know, looking at the series, has Missouri won more than two in a row? No. They've never won more than two in a row in the series, uh, which is one, two, three, five, it's five and two, five and four. Missouri leads the series six, five. Gamecocks lead at five, four in the Mayor's Cup. Missouri's not beaten South Carolina three times in a row. You know, I, I think it's a great opportunity for the Gamecocks to go out there and, you know, you look at it and you look at the results this year, pretty evenly matched game. I think mean, that's why it's a one-point spread, uh, all things considered. But reality is this. Gamecocks, you know, high watermark this year is a lot higher than Missouri's, and it happened last week. 
Uh, so I think South Carolina is a better football team. Will they win? There's no guarantees, but I'm going to pick them. I'm going to pick the game guys to win for the first time in several weeks. I hope it doesn't jinx anything. Uh, I think it, I almost thought about picking Missouri just so, you know, I'll get a streak of being wrong because I don't really care about predictions, but I know you guys want to hear my predictions. So I think South Carolina goes in, uh, plays well offensively, plays well defensively. I think they'll get a a big shot from Missouri. Uh, don't expect to be able to relax in the fourth quarter like he did last week. Uh, but I think Parker White puts one through at the end. Gamecocks win 24 to 21 at Mizzou and uh, get the trophy back to Columbia and clinch bowl eligibility, which is huge for the first year under Shane Beamer. You get to six wins. That's as many wins as you've had in the last two years combined. Uh, although I do know that like the two win COVID year, you got to kind of judge it sort of like a four or five win normal year uh, just because all SEC schedule, that kind of thing. Um, but hey, this will be if they win it, the third SEC win of the season. Three, so you only had two, I think. Well, did they have th- in 2019? Yeah, they beat Kentucky, Georgia, and Vandy. So that that equals the you know 2014 or 2019 season. Game costs were one and three in the non conference that year. Gosh, uh. <laughs> 2019 season, three SEC wins is about average for this program over the years. And you got a shot at four when um, Auburn comes to town. So, Gamecast 24, Missouri 21. Thanks again to Cindy Searfoss uh, of Colwell Banker Kane. Please hit her up, 864-414-5271. Sponsors the prediction segment every week and also our daily analysis segment. Prediction is analysis, so it's the same thing. And now it's time. For the old uh, – and if you guys hear some clicking in the background, I don't know what Red's exactly doing over there, but he's playing, so that's that's what that is. I hope he didn't – I hope it doesn't come through too much. Uh, but also, you know, so it's time for the mailbag. And Daniel Owens from I Help Consulting, and I Help Consulting does sponsor the mailbag. They're now a sponsor of JB and Goldwater. And by the way, uh, it's about 11.30 right now. So an hour and a half I'll be on the Big Game Cop preview show. I don't know if any of you will hear this before then. But it's also in podcast form with JB and Goldwater. So if you want to, after you listen to this on Saturday or Friday night or whenever, if you want to turn the page and uh, listen to uh, JB and Goldwater in the Big Gamecock Preview Show with myself, JB Goldwater, and former Gamecock Michael Flint, who's awesome, uh, breaking it down and stuff. Wando, we remember Wando. Got a chance to meet him when I was in town for the Kentucky game, and uh, you know, just a great guy, full of great personality, brilliant person, uh, outstanding, and so. Please be sure to, you know, check that out. Um, so, yeah, so that's coming up. And uh, I Help Consulting is now a sponsor of JB and Goldwater as well. Uh, but let me tell you what I Help Consulting does. They save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, uh, whatever you want without sacrificing quality. They saved one business 50 grand. 50 grand, folks. 50 grand. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, how does it work? Well, you call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713, or go to ihelpconsulting.com, uh, and then set up a quick phone call or meeting. Daniel's going to break it all down for you. Where are their savings? Where are you paying junk fees? Why are your rates too high? And then you're like, well, how do they get paid, man? You know, if they save me 50 grand, am I going to pay a 52? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're always going to save more with iHelp then you pay then you pay out you know because it's only a percentage 
of your first year savings. So, you know, you save 50 grand one year, he gets a percentage of it, but the next year you're going to save 50 grand, the next year you're going to save 50 grand. So it's a good deal. It's a great deal. And right now they're running a special uh, half off uh, because they're in a good mood. If you tell them that you heard about it on the podcast, they will give you half off. So tell Daniel you heard it right here. Eight four three three seven two five seven one three. Give him a shot, Daniel Owens. Great guy, friend of mine. Um, you know, big Gamecock fan. Uh, obviously, does a fantastic job with iHelp Consulting. Uh, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? The sponsor of the iHelp Consulting Mailbag, and this is my favorite segment of the podcast because uh, you know I do this by myself most of the time, and. Uh, I kind of feel like I have guests and co-hosts when you guys are. And and look, I've got some guests sort of I'm trying to get thinking about. Uh, So see that. So that's what happens. All right. So there's two ways to get into the iHealth Consulting mailbag. First of all, you can tweet to at the Big Spur pod, which is the Twitter account for this podcast. We are affiliated with the Big Spur.com, although it is kind of a separate sort of a separate entity, part of 24-7 sports, whatever. But, you know, at the Big Spur Pod was, you know, probably the, you know, the the uh, Twitter account that I wanted to put on it. So uh, first one comes in for Gamecock Pastor, pray and play. <laughs> hey, that's probably like, you know, a good Gamecock, um, you know, Gamecock motto, pray and play. <laughs> Over the years, let's hope they, you know, let's pray for this weekend, right? Uh, and he, he corrects that so he says, JC, they did not eliminate the rooster crows in my normal seats at East Upper, and the cockadoodle do rang out on third down as usual. I mean, you know, I didn't hear it on the broadcast, and so I think that's probably why, or I didn't notice it. So that's why I probably kind of like, you know, dug into it a little bit, but you're right. I mean, I, you know, and I think the rooster crows also, I mean, you remember that time the SEC decided Carolina couldn't do the rooster crow for like a year when Spurrier was there and they had to eliminate it. And yet they, you know, and then they, they used it under the guise of Mississippi state's cowbells. Well, then Mississippi state said, no, we're we're just going to continue to use the cowbells. And, uh, and so they kind of backed off of it. And uh, I'm glad because I like that rooster crow on third down. You know, that's uh, that's one of the good things about Williams Bryce. You know, they, they, you know, that kind of thing. I have it at the beginning of the podcast. All right. Gamecock Pastor comes in again with a comment about yesterday's show, making all of our collective stomachs growl while also serving up a flawless analogy on the big burst per pod. Hashtag making a good pizza, you know, and that's, uh, that was my Satterfield analogy. I've had a lot of analogies about the offense this year, right? Um, all right, so that does it with the Twitter portion of this. You can also get in and, uh, you know, to the mailbag by – sorry, I, I look like I lost some of my emails there. I was like, it says seven, but there's only two I'm looking at. I had to scroll down a bit. Uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. And uh, lots of questions today here on a Friday. All right, so, no, I do not want to. I had some spam in here. I was like, order the skin cream. I'm like, no, I don't want any skin cream from Japan. Thank you. (laughs) 
Although I bet they may get skin cream. I don't really use skin cream. I'm, I do wash my face. I mean, that's, that's one thing my mom told me. Wash your face every single night. So that's good. Um, all right. First one. Tristan says, any recruits trending or on commitment watch after the game Saturday? No. And, and as I've said, on the negative end of things, you know, when the Gamecocks lose a game badly, you know, you don't see and people are worried about decommits and you're not getting this player and that player. And uh, again, fans look at it differently game to game. Um, and rightfully so. And, and I, you know, as far as like how I feel about things, you know, and really I, I look at it differently than recruits. You know, <laughs> uh, I think most people do with a vested interest recruits or recruits. They're kind of, you know, their vested interest didn't necessarily in the wins and losses, it's more about like what what am I going to do? How do I fit in? That type of thing. Because a lot of these recruits feel like, well, once I get there, <laughs> the wins will take care of themselves. Uh, not saying you don't need to win to recruit well. I mean, it's it's you know it's one of those things where you know you, you see it all the time. I mean, and, and it's been especially ridiculous under Shane Beamer because you know, <laughs> man. These guys, you know, just got to Carolina. I mean, they're they're really still – it's not even been a calendar year, right? Recruiting has always accelerated because of the early signing period these days. Um, You know, you almost look at it like with the early signing period, maybe your third class is the first time you really get a chance to have a full cycle – we had COVID, so there were no visits, no on-the-road recruiting, nothing until June of this past year. That was six months ago. So basically, we've had six months to have a normal recruiting period. Uh, and, and they got a top 25 class right now. You know, and, and I see people all the time, you know, it was ridiculous. They got Demetrius Watson the other day, and this person was like, hey, can I have all these three stars? Yeah, never mind the fact Demetrius Watson's six two and a half. He's two eighty five. He's a huge wingspan. He runs four six nine. His film is outstanding. He's from D line heaven. He's from a, a high school where South Carolina is starting to get more inroads. Um, so they don't lose Robert Quinn and Byron Maxwell and Jay, uh, John Simpson and Carlos Dunlap and and those guys when they come along. You know, so it's overwhelmingly positive commitment, right? By all accounts. Oh, three stars, huh? Now, and look, I, I think you have to have to compete for national championships. You do need elite recruits. It's, it's proven. It's proven. I don't think you need. Uh, I, I think you know things like the the blue chip ratio are, are factually proven, right? You know, everybody that's won it's had this kind of roster. But I also think that you know if you kind of could dig into that a little bit and. Uh, look and see who's actually doing the playing and, and the winning, you know, uh, for a lot of teams, Clemson, especially when they had their breakthrough year, uh, you'd find that it's not all four and five star guys at all. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I, you know, Alabama won a national championship last year, probably had the best offense in college football history with a three-star guy. year before that, Joe Burrow was a guy that was right around 225 or so, so right around where Braden Davis is ranked right now, who's the Gamecocks quarterback in this class. Uh, couldn't win the job at Ohio State. 
when LSU struck, you know, was up and down his first year, they got better and had the year he had, and now he's great in the pros. Um, you know, so it's not it's not always, you know, about the star ratings. Now, you know, four star, five star quarterbacks versus three star quarterbacks, exception rather than the rules, maybe. Maybe you could look at it like that, but Marcus Mariota was a composite three-star. Johnny Manziel was a composite three-star. Cal Trask was a composite two-star. Zach Wilson, I think, was a three-star. Um, you know, they're just – there's a lot of examples. Connor Shaw, Dylan Thompson played here pretty well. A lot of examples of guys that were not highly rated that were pretty good quarterbacks. So, you know, it's not always – and that, that's just quarterback, you know. I, I think I think you – you know – you need numbers on the offensive line. Don't necessarily need star ratings. You know, that's a developmental spot. You know, I, I do think, you know, when you look at receivers and things like that, sometimes you're, you're, you're four or five receivers so hard because there's so many of them. So your upper echelon receivers that, that they have some sort of skill set that's different. And so I like that. But anyway, I, you know, position by position, you can find examples of lower rated guys who've gone to the NFL and upper, uh, higher rated guys that have gone to the NFL. It, it's just uh, it's different. And now, when you're in South Carolina's position, and you what you're trying to do right now is increase your positioning year to year in the SEC East, because you have to do that before you can start talking about an SEC championship or a playoff berth or whatever. You know that that's the key is to get it back to where you know South Carolina was, where they were contending in the East every year. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't really think about it. They, they look back on the players that were here during Spurrier's era, and there was a bunch of four- and five-star guys. Well, there were some. Marcus Lattimore, five-star guy, made a big difference, right? Brandon Wilds was a two-star guy. Big difference. Made a big difference, right? <laughs> Ace Sanders was a three-star guy. He made a big difference, right? Connor Shaw's three-star guy. Dylan Thompson's a two-star guy. Big difference there, right? You know, Bruce Ellington was a basketball recruit. Farrow Cooper was a three-star guy. DJ Swearinger was a three-star guy. Melvin Ingram was a three-star guy. Devin Taylor was a three-star guy. Byron Jaredu was a two-star guy out of junior college. Lottie Azuboy, I had him as a four-star guy, but I think he ended up as a three-star out of prep school. And I could go on and on. Now, look, Cliff Matthews, elite-level recruit. Travian Robertson, elite level recruit. You know, I, I don't know the Gamecocks ever had a four star line. But Jasper Brinkley out of junior college, but, you know, Dickerson and Strauder and Shaq Wilson and Rodney Park and, you know, Quinn Smith. And those cats were all like two and three star guys. You know, so, so this notion of Sidney Rice was a three star, by the way. And Alshon Jeffrey wasn't a top 100 prospect. So, you know, you know, obviously Gilmore and Holloman were, but Antonio Allen wasn't. Three-star guy. Got him out of Florida. So, you know, the, the key with South Carolina is to, to get a blend, a blend of these guys. You, you do need elite recruits. Don't get me wrong. But you also need to make sure that you evaluate well because it's unrealistic that you're going to go sign a top five to ten class right now. You know, it's just not going to happen. You know, number one – you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt when you go sign Johnny three-star that you, th- you think is pretty good. Now somebody else does it, Georgia or Alabama. 
they're going to, you know, the, the people that do the rankings are going to obviously look at that a lot closer, you know, and then that's, that's not, you know, saying the rankings are rigged. I'm just saying you, you kind of get, you know, a lot of teams, once they start winning, start getting the benefit of the doubt because, you know, you're talking about one of the, you know, winning programs in the country, then, then their offers mean a little, you know, it's just, just how it is. Um, you know, so I, we're, I think this recruiting class, number 21 in the country right now, it's eighth in the SEC. Uh, you know, that's a nice range. And then they're going to add some players. You know, they've still – Antonio Williams is still in, on the mix. They still have, you know, some other receivers. They're also going to hit the portal. And now that Jason Brown's the starting quarterback and has led the Gamecocks to uh, their most impressive win in years – Look at this class from the portal. I mean, Jakeem Green hadn't played. We get it. Uh, it's unfortunate. I, I I was just wrong about his JUCO film. I thought he had a lot of big upside, uh, but he hadn't played that much. Amari and Brown has not been as good as we thought. Uh, I still don't know that they have used played to his strengths. I just don't. I don't think he's a guy that you throw bubble screens to all day. I think that you got to just chunk it deep. That's what he did at Georgia Tech. That was especially. You know, so maybe we'll see that this weekend. Carlin Splatel has been really good in the box. Um, Coverage-wise, maybe not all that great, but in the box, he's made some plays in the backfield. Jordan Strong's been outstanding. Uh, David Spaulding's played really well out of pick six. We mentioned Jason Brown. You know E.J. Jenkins and his story. And then Debo Williams is a promising, promising young linebacker. So what they did in the portal in 30 days was it was pretty good. Pretty good, I think, you know, when you're talking about recruiting. And this class was rated 79th in the country, right? <laughs> Everybody's, well, God, you know, people use that as talking points as to why South Carolina was bad, but there's a lot of players. Um, and then you look at the freshman that wasn't a huge class, but Juju McDowell's obviously playing, and people you've heard good things about Colton Gothier, but, you know, Bam Scott's redshirting. Kobe Fields is out there some, I think, on special teams. Nick Barrett has a great, great future. Jandarius Morgan, Marcellus Dial's playing really well. Isaiah Norris is redshirting. So, so you know, Omega Blake played uh, quarterback on the scout team this week, last week. Played really well, you know. So, so there's some players in there, too. To where this class that you look back at, you know, 79th, uh, it's not that good. I mean, there's going to be some contributors. And the good thing about being transfer heavy in this class is there, and, you know, quite a bit of, you know, fair number of JUCOs too, is they all end up getting slotted in different spots. And, and you had the COVID year last year where everybody got a red shirt, um, especially that 2020 class. And, and so, you know, you're not going to run into a situation where, like, down the road in 30 years, you got 30 seniors. And then you're like, oh my God, you know, half our roster's gone because uh, because of all that. So, um, you know, I, I, and I think recruiting's going well. But to answer your question again, Tristan, it, it's not about one game. Um, I do think that's the Gamecocks, from what Beamer said, you know, got some people's attention. Does that mean they're going to get them or visit? I don't know. You know, watch and see who who comes to the games. Uh, I guess Auburn and Clemson should be two great atmospheres. All right, Phillip says, I actually don't know that we processed how big of a deal last weekend was. We beat Florida 40-17, to 17, biggest win over the Gators in school history. It is. I don't care what the deal with their team is. It's the University of Florida. Amen. The Gamecocks have had their noses rubbed in it by the Gators quite a bit. 
beating them like that was was a really big deal. And, you know, Carolina's six and six in the last 12 against the Mighty Gators. Now I'll say this too about Florida, um, you know, in terms of the uh, the big win and, and, and all that. It, it's a situation where I think that you can – sometimes you can see an upset coming, right? And, and if you think about it, sometimes, you know, a team will play a team – Close and and I you know NC State Clemson comes to mind this year and I know I know we always talk about Clemson but that's because again you guys follow them so you understand the comparison you know a few times lately in Raleigh especially when Clemson's been on its roll NC State's given them all they wanted even one time in, in Clemson they almost they should have won they missed a field goal Clemson won in overtime so you can almost sense like okay at some point. State's going to get over the top and beat them. And, you know, you ask any Clemson person when the schedule came out, they were like, well, we're a little concerned about going to Raleigh. And so that's uh, – and they beat them this year in overtime. South Carolina blew the lead at the Swamp in 2018, 27 – 2019, they had a fourth quarter lead and a bad call, set the momentum, lost 38-27. And then even 2020, second game of the year, Colin Hill's down there firing at the end zone at the end of the game and could have cut it to a touchdown. So so Carolina's played Florida better than a lot of schools that are kind of on Carolina's level wins and losses wise. Um, and so this was – you could even kind of say this was probably coming. I, I didn't see it coming this year. I thought, you know, Florida had been pretty good as much as I didn't like Todd Grantham and think it's, it was a good move they fired him. You know, they had actually played pretty good defense up until that point. And their, their skill positions are scary and they got a great offense. So yeah, it's the university of Florida. They have athletes at every position and we beat the snot out of them. If we had miscued in the red zone, the game could have been much worse. Yeah. Carolina could have easily hung half a hundred on these guys. I was at the stadium. You could feel the energy come back into all of our fans. All Gamecock fans have ever asked for was to feel like we have a chance. If we beat Mizzou attendance for Auburn and you know, who won't be a problem. My question relates to Satterfield's press conference this week. I thought he gave a really interesting answer relating to the process of installing an offense. He hinted at going through an arduous installation rebuilding process twice with Matt Rule at Temple and Baylor. Uh, I've almost been curious about turnarounds like Matt Rule made at programs that were hardcore in the wilderness where it goes horribly wrong at first, but then it hits the groove. Any interesting tidbits or rebuilds come to mind? or maybe we just needed to click. Others are Harbaugh at Stanford, Franklin at Penn State, Urban Meyer at Utah and Florida. Well, those are all different. Urban won immediately. Uh, And by his second year, he was elite at uh, those stops. Went undefeated his first year at Ohio State. Urban Meyer also did not take over programs that were losing badly, depleted rosters, you know, that, that sort of thing. You know, it's not, uh, you know, uh, that wasn't a situation. Harbaugh, however, University of San Diego, Stanford, yeah, both of those were, you know, do what you can the first year, get better the second year kind of thing. Um, Matt Rule, and and this is interesting. Now, now look, uh, I – all right, so so here's where – I disagree with Marcus Satterfield. Uh, and I and I think 
he has not been on the right page on this all year, judging by some of his comments. This is not this, – this was not a situation where you walk in and you have, like, this free year to suck on offense with the players that you have. Okay? Uh, Temple didn't have very many players. Baylor didn't have very many players. Uh, and they did go 2-10 and 10 at Temple and 1-11 at Baylor before it flipped. And it flipped quickly, and Matt Rule it was good at that. I think we're finding out, though, at Baylor, it probably doesn't matter. You're going to be bad in your first year and good in your second because Dave Aranda's doing pretty well at Baylor right now. Um, you know, so, so I, I don't agree with him that, you know, oh, it, just, it took a year or so to get this done. And, you know, this is not Baylor. This is not Temple. This is South Carolina, and your personnel here is better than being the worst offense in the SEC. That's just that's just – Bottom line, and I think they proved that against the Gators. And I hope that this continues because I think, hey, what the, the adjustments they made in the off week and the, the recalibration, not just – you know, they didn't throw out the playbook. They didn't install a new offense. They tweaked some of the assignments in the blocking scheme to simplify, which they probably should have done all year. Uh, they started focusing more on, you know, individual accountability and assignments. They did less crazy slides. I mean, it's all mono and mono, and the boys up front can play that game. Uh, and then you get Kevin Harris and White and Lloyd and Juju going. Those are some of your best players again. You're going to have a pretty good offense. You know, Jason Brown going in was a big deal. Um, but I, I reject the notion that, oh, this was just like, in you know a rebuild, and, and, and this is just how it's going to be. You know, no, I, I reject that. There's no way it gets that much better in two weeks without uh, some adjustments from the coaching. And I think we've all seen that. You know, I'm pretty much right that there's been more talent on this offense than than we thought. It's just like the defense last year: two uh, confusion, complication, that kind of thing. Uh, they were historically bad. Well, then, you know, this year, Clayton White and his group, they've sent, it's the same stuff. And, and some of these people that say they're running the same plays, but they did, yes, that's right. South Carolina's defense is running some of the same concepts that it ran under Will Muschamp. It's just being taught differently and and, and learned differently and all that. Um, and, and as I've said, when I've been critical, you, know, you, you need something your guys can learn because uh, you don't have enough – you don't have NFL time. You don't have NFL time in college, you know, and you have to realize that. But, yeah, I mean, look, hey, if it's just a case of, you know, now that they've gotten it, they're going to get it and they're going to have success like Matt Rule did at Temple and Baylor, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And it starts tomorrow. It definitely starts tomorrow. So thank you so much uh, for this question. That was really good. James Franklin, by the way, at Penn State, it wasn't him that held it together. It was Bill O'Brien, and then he, he kind of – got O'Brien and, and built on it, I guess. So thanks so much. Uh, Soda City Chicken. Thank you. Noah, I got an O-line question. Last week, did the O-line pick up the blocking schemes we've been trying to run, or do we simplify? Go Gamecocks, Noah. All right, so same scheme. Scheme is like a general catch-all for what are you doing. Different types of ways to learn assignments, 
And they also, one thing that was that Satterfield did say in his press conference that I, I think was a little went understated because on, on the bigspur.com, there's a faction of folks that, you know, believe they didn't change anything. Um, and the players just played better. And that's true. The players did play better individually. And then there's a faction that believes that Pete Limbo was calling plays. <laughs> and, and neither one of those things is accurate. It, you know, they, they did not throw out the scheme. They did run the same plays they all year. They ran more gap stuff, which those guys can do better. But the, 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 but the gap stuff, too, earlier in the year didn't work either. Uh, one thing that went understated that Satterfield said that I thought was interesting was he said no matter what, unless Jason Brown just sees something, maybe called timeout or whatever, then Eric Douglas calling the protection, right? And they simplified that because you had two different – you know, I guess backstop, you know, and they do this in the NFL, you know, you got the, the center calls it, the quarterback sees something, he can change it, you know, and it's good. It works, but that's the NFL. So, you know, I think simplifying that going back to how it was last year, that helped Jason Brown be more confident and comfortable, not having to worry about that pre-snap. You just sort of called it and hauled it and that works. So, you know, that's uh that's that there. But Brown um it made it easier on him and, and those are the adjustments they made. Uh and I've said this before about this offense, you know, I like flea flicker on first play of the game. I like double passes, I like reverses. You know, I don't even mind Jordan Burks throwing a pass, just not in the situation that he did. Uh, you know, and, and I don't mind wildcat stuff down close. I, I you know, I, I don't, the, the actual plays are, are not, were not ever the problem. It was like what to call and when, and then the complexity pre snap and the confusion that the players had. Um, and, and streamlining that, you know, and then they said, well, we only run 25% of the playbook. Well, that's not the point. The number of plays is not the point. It's how you're teaching them and, and, and how the players are expected to execute and the disconnect between what you're asking them to do. And Satterfield said this last week, what you're asking them to do. That's the thing. What are you asking them to do? Can they do it? And how can you get them? You know, Coaching is about getting someone to believe that they can do what they don't believe they can do. And – so, so, so when you're teaching an offense or anything like that, you, you've got to, you've got to make sure they get, it. And, and those were the adjustments that they made. Sean says, JC, I was listening to a recent FSU podcast. They mentioned how full USC stadium looked for Florida and spoke to the fact many programs outside the SEC envy South Carolina's fan support, despite its lackluster history in football. They really harp on the fans being committed for years, regardless of the products on the field. So it got me thinking, where would you rate USC fans as a whole to other programs with similar histories? They seem to think it's the best of mid-tier programs. Thanks. Love the podcast. And I don't know. You know, Florida State, I've looked at some of their games, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, and as, as disappointing as some of the empty seats have been at Carolina Maybe Clemson too. I, I saw their their crowd for FSU was not wasn't what you'd think it would be. I think that uh, you know you you look at it and and, and I, I would like to see what happens 
Auburn Clemson game, you know, how full it is. Uh, I, I think this fan base has been through a ton. Uh, I think that, you know, if you're a Gamecock fan in 2014, that summer you're riding high. You're in the top 10. They're making movies about Steve Spurrier. You got a good offense coming back. Everybody says the defense is going to be good. Whammy says it would be better, but well, none of that was true. <laughs> you got AM coming in first game. You're an 11 point favorite and you're ranked ninth. And then that night, you know, a whole lot of energy got sapped. Now, Carolina still rallied. They beat Georgia and Florida that year, went to a bowl, beat Miami. Um, Tough loss at Auburn that year. I mean, that didn't end the Spurrier era, but it was kind of the beginning of the end. And um, then you fast forward till now, you know, I don't think anybody was predicting Clemson to play for the national title in 2015. I I don't know that anybody expected them to go on the run they did and win two national championships and be in the playoff every single year. And that's the in-state rival that as of – the start of the 2014 season, Gamecocks have beaten five in a row. None of them were close. All double-digit scores. 2012 game was close. I'll give you that. 2013 to a certain extent was close, but 2012 was close until the end. But all double-digit games, you know. And then that happens. And during that time period, you go to Final Four men's basketball. Everybody's happy. And then Gamecocks have not been to the big dance since. And then on top of that, the baseball program, which was in 2014, it was, you know, two years removed from three straight national championship series appearances and two national titles. And uh, that kind of went backward too, didn't it? (coughs) So Gamecock fans have been through a lot. And I think all that considered, you know, still a loyal bunch, maybe more of a, a show me crowd at this point than they were, but still a loyal bunch. And look, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if Carolina does win this weekend, what the crowds are like for Auburn and Clemson. Um, because I know, I know that it started to be a concern and it is, I mean, it, as of right now, I still think it's a concern, but let's see what happens. I mean, you know, I, I think back and, you know, the baseball season, you know, game in the regionals against who, who was old dominion, Place was packed, but like it used to be. So, Carolina fans still show up. You know, I, I just think it's not as much of an automatic. Uh, you know, there are other mid-tier programs with excellent fan support in football that haven't been all that good. Mississippi State comes to mind. You know, Ole Miss comes to mind. Those fans all show up a lot. Um, you know, in the East, Kentucky has a good football fan base. People just don't realize it because it's a bad, you know, their basketball program overshadows it. They get 65,000 in there. Um, You know, so I get it. And I understand if you're Florida State, why, you know, if you're Mr. Johnny Knoll and you watch the Florida Gamecock game, you, you probably pull against Florida every time they play. And so you're impressed with Sandstorm and all that for a team that was four and four and couldn't score. But as Gamecocks, you know, you, you sit there and look and you see big empty seats in the upper deck. That's not what we're used to seeing at Williams Bryce. So maybe it's a matter of perspective. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Uh, one more from Xavier. JC, I have two questions for you. First, how much of the offensive struggles the first eight games were due to complexity or did it have a lot more to do with the inconsistent quarterback play? 
I think a lot of the complexity caused inconsistent quarterback play uh, from what I've been told about it. Uh, so I think both. Jason was the most consistent thing we have seen in a long time versus Zeb, Zeb and Doty, who were not. Yeah, well, you know, Zeb, Zeb doesn't have a chance if Zeb doesn't get protected. You know, when he gets protection, he can throw the ball. When he doesn't, he can't. Doty, I think, with, with the foot and, he, you know, it's just that there's just a difference when you watch him versus Brown. Brown's very smooth, smooth operator in the pocket. You know, Doty's kind of herky-jerky, takes off. And like a lot of young quarterbacks who have wheels, Doty's tendency was to take off early and run. And that would have been the case had his foot been hurt or not. So when you talk about that and, you know, you, you look at it and, you know, well, he's taking off and running, you, you can – the the plan was – the idea was before Doty got hurt was, okay, we can live with that this year, Right. Uh, he can drop back if he wants to run. He can make plays with his legs, and he's fast enough and athletic enough to where you can get some off-schedule stuff from him that's that's big time. Well, his foot was hurt. So instead of like a 15-yard gain when he runs, you know, it's like three or four. And unlike Jason Brown, he didn't stay in the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and throw the ball. Um, and uh, look, I am not – giving up on Luke Doty here at all. I, I, I think that the way he competed this season, uh, the way he went out and played, uh, that he got a lot better than he, than he was at the end of last year. Uh, but with the foot and everything else, and, and then you saw it, once the foot sort of got retweaked against Mandy, it, it got ugly. You know, he couldn't couldn't do it. Um, but I, I, I think one day – you know, there's a there's a a Doty hater fan club out there, <laughs> an anti Doty movement, if you will. I think one day those people are going to be wrong. Um, I will tell you though that I I will admittedly say, if Brown continues to play like he's playing, and let's say the Gamecocks get on a roll at the end of the year, you know, I don't think there's any question it's not going to be a bad thing if Brown's the returning starter. And Doty's a backup next year and has another year of development because I do think there's some things he needs to develop on. Um, and if Doty comes back next year and is healthy and plays like gangbusters and beats Brown out, then you've got an improved Luke Doty. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think Jason Brown's keeping the seat warm, so to speak. Uh, in fact, I'd be surprised, but I, I, I think Luke's got some talent. Uh, I still, you know, you don't want to sit there and give up on a guy based on three games at the end of a year, spring game, and then, you know, whatever he did this year with a hurt foot. I mean, I think you've got to you've got to really, you know, dig into the facts <laughs> on that. But uh, you know, and hey, look, if 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 they bring in a grad or a, a transfer portal quarterback who ends up winning the job next year, that's good too. Because uh, you know you will have beaten out two guys, and, and you know that that anything that helps the the program win, you know, at quarterback uh, is sort of what you need to do, in my opinion. Um, and you know, did Jason Brown make a big difference Saturday night? Yes. 
but also, you know, getting the blocking scheme rolling, getting the run game rolling and all that, 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 that made a bigger difference, you know, because then Brown had room to kind of operate, you know, he only completed 14 passes, but, uh, you know, I, that was fine. That was plenty because Carolina was running the ball, you know, this weekend, Missouri stacks the box could be a little different. Thanks so much, Xavier. I appreciate it. And I, I have a lot of confidence in Jason Brown. Uh, I know it's his first SEC road start at South Carolina, but uh, I think one thing to remember is he did get in the fourth quarter and play most of it against A&M, did well. there in front of like 100,000 people. And I don't think those fans left <laughs> that game. Uh, and he did well. You know, had, had a couple of picks, but, you know, it, it, it was a very competitive outing for him. You know, and, and Missouri's not Texas A&M, folks. I mean, their defense, 123rd in the country, it speaks for itself. And uh, stack the box all you want. You know, I'd, there's some confidence inside the Gamecocks program. Jason Brown can make things happen downfield to keep them honest. And I believe it. I believe it. Carolina's got to go out and block. Carolina's going to go out and block, tackle, run the ball, stop the run. Sounds like football 101, doesn't it? But you'd be amazed. If you really dig into some of these games and and who wins and who loses in college football, it gets down to the same thing. Block, tackle, run the ball, stop the run. Anyway, I really appreciate all of you joining me today and this week on the Inside the Game Cox podcast. We'll be back reviewing the Missouri game, looking ahead to Auburn, looking at the rest of the season next week. Very fired up about uh, the possibilities of this season. We'll review Gamecock basketball, men and women. Um, had a recruiting question today, and then that's going to start to heat up really, really soon. Thanks to all my sponsors. Thanks to Cindy Searfoss. Thanks to Heritage Digital. And thanks to iHelp Consulting, proud sponsors of the iHelp Consulting mailbag here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. All right, folks, I'm J.C. Sherbert. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Have a cold one or two for me, if that's what you, you do. If you don't, have a steak or a burger for me. If you're a vegetarian and you don't drink, enjoy the salad. And uh, we'll be back next week to see if Marcus Satterfield uh, can become an elite pizza maker and fighter pilot. J.C. Sherbert signing off inside the Gamecast podcast.